Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today we are welcoming Brandon Kyle Goodman to the show. Brandon is a New York-born actor and a writer on the television program Big Mouth and a social justice activist and an author of a brand new book called You Gotta Be You, How to Embrace This Messy Life and Step Into Who You Really Are. The book is part memoir, part how-to, and it's a compassionate and hilarious book all about unlearning the toxic traits we grew up with and now take for granted. You know, the ones that hold us back from our true potential. Queer, Black, and non-binary from an immigrant household, Brandon shares a hopeful and galvanizing message that you'll hear all about on today's episode. I also have to say, full disclosure, Brandon is one of my dearest friends. We've known each other since we were 19 years old at NYU, and I honestly could not be more excited to celebrate their work, the fact that they have a book, and just our friendship on this week's episode. Remember, our October book club pick is the memoir Fairest by Meredith Toulousen. Make sure to listen on October 26th when Anthony Christian Ocampo returns for the discussion. And don't forget, Everything we talk about on each episode of The Stacks can be found in the link in the show notes. If you love the show and want more of it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the Stacks Pack. That's our wonderful bookish community. And since The Stacks is an indie podcast, it means I rely on listeners like you to make the show possible week in and week out. In addition to knowing that you're supporting your favorite book podcast, you also get to earn perks like our monthly virtual book club, bonus episodes. This month is with Kiese Lehman, and it's such a good time, and access to our Discord, plus more. If you'd like to be a part of this wonderful bookish community, head to patreon.com slash the stacks. Thank you to some of our newest members of the Stacks Pack, Sarah Ruiz Grossman, Mary Ann Watson, Patrick Prudent, Teresa Gennaro, Disha Filia, and Cynthia Wasilek. Thank you all so much. And thank you to the entire Stacks Pack. And now it's time for my conversation with my dear, dear friend, Brandon Kyle Goodman. All right, everybody. I am so excited today. I know I say that every week, but this time I like really, really mean it because my guest today is one of my dear old darling, not old like old, but old like long friends. 
Brandon Kyle Goodman. Brandon, welcome to the Stacks. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. This is a dream come true, Tracy. I remember when you uh, were thinking about starting the Stacks, because I think I was still living with you (laughs) at the time. (laughs) You were like, I think I want to start this podcast called The Stacks, and now it's the fucking Stacks. I know, I know. The show's like five years old, which is, or almost five years old, which is crazy. That's crazy. I just can't believe that you're on the show because you've written a book. Like, I've had other friends on the show (laughs) just like, because I didn't know anybody in the book world, but now you're on the show (laughs) because you've actually written a real book that you you had published by like a big five publisher. It's called You Gotta Be You and it's in the world now. And can you just tell the people in about 30 seconds or so what the book is about? Yeah, I say that the book is part uh, memoir, part self-help and an exploration of the question, who would I be if society never got its hands on me? And the idea that uh, self-love is the most important thing, but how do we do that? And so I wanted this book to be using my stories as a blueprint to loving oneself and loving uh, the intersections of one's identity. I love the mix of self-help and memoir. I think it's done really well. I've told you this before. It's not self-help like you need to do this to like have a good life or like you need to do this to be yourself. It's more like, hey, this is what happened to me. Here's a few things I noticed. Like, take it if you want it. And so I always am like, it's not self-help help self-help because I think that freaks people out and they think they're getting like how to be a badass or whatever those books yeah. are. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, it's not, not like, you know, I'm not like Brene Brown or, or somebody with like a degree or something. To me, I want it to feel like it's you're having brunch with your friend. And, you know, when you go to brunch, y'all start talking about dick and pussy and you <laughs> laugh. And then all of a sudden you're talking about your childhood traumas. And and it's just like what the, those really beautiful um three-hour brunches that you go to, that's what I wanted the book to feel like. I feel like I haven't been to br- brunch with you in a while because I don't think it's we've been talked a about our childhood trauma or dick and pussy recently. So. <laughs> I, you know, we, we're overdue for a brunch. We're due for a date. Um, yes. Though I don't know if I have three hours to sit at a restaurant. I don't, I'm, yeah, not, but... I'm not into sitting at a restaurant for a long time, personally. I don't like it. I'd rather like eat you don't and like, like go it? on a walk or something. Yeah, I don't know. No, I not... love sitting there. I love the drinks continuing to be poured. I lo- Remember yeah. that, uh, that uh, brunch we went to at the Hudson? I still think about it. It was like you, me, Shane, Ismael. Yes, 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 yes. And a whole bunch of that. That was one of my favorite brunches. That was the a fun brunch. Great, that was a long time ago. That place has closed. It was a long time ago. It is, since it closed. is closed. It is closed <laughs> down. It does not exist. Does um, it exist? Okay. That was a long brunch. Go ahead. It was a long brunch. Wait, first of all, I have to say something on record. I'm so excited. We haven't talked about this, but... People who are listening to this show know that I have a personal life bucket list with three things on it. One is to meet a sitting president of the United States. Two two is to officiate someone's wedding. And three was to be thanked in the acknowledgments of someone's book. And ah! you have checked off one of my major life bucket list things. <laughs> yes. You're fully in that acknowledgement. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. I could not, I could not not include you. It was uh, really, um, no, it was really emotional, like, you know, thinking about my acknowledgements and, and thinking about specifically the chosen family section of that acknowledgements and thinking about the people that really have been there for me in such an incredible, incredible way. And you are 
at the top of that list of people who've really held me, held my heart, held my life um, so sacredly. And so I'm, you know, just so grateful. Don't make me cry yeah. on my own podcast. How rude. Um, I do want to talk about chosen family. I wasn't planning on starting here, but let's talk about it. I'd love for you to explain yeah. to people what you mean by chosen family and sort of explain why it's so important to you and in your story. Yeah. You know, chosen family is uh, such a term that you really, really hear in queer communities. And I think it really stemmed from the fact that a lot of queer people have experienced uh, being, you know, uh, kicked out of their own homes uh, with their blood family. And so then you find yourself, you know, a lot of black and brown kids and and queer kids find themselves on the street. I mean, the homeless po- homeless youth population of queer kids in LA is outrageous. And then you find people who are not your blood, but who take you in, um, who become your, 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 you know, in, in kind of ball culture, your house mother, um, house fathers, um, where you find your siblings and you just find these people who you're not related to, but are also usually queer and just like, hold you like family and take care of you. And so chosen family, you know, family is important, um, but sometimes your blood family can't do what family is expected to do. And so that's where chosen family steps in. Yeah. I love chosen family and I'm honored to be part of yours. Um, Yes. In the book, you start with an intention. And -hmm. I know that this is something that's always been part of who you are, but I'm curious why it was important for you to share the intention with your audience instead of just having it and let it guide guide you as the author. You know, um, I have this thing when I write sometimes, even like when I start a show, when I'm writing a play or one of my stage shows or whatever, where I always start with the intention uh, and I'm always, when I'm scared of something, like when when I'm doing something really big, my... Um, go-to is to say it. My go-to is to put it out there. Even like if I'm live on stage and I'm scared, my go-to is to be like, hey, y'all, I'm out here and I'm terrified, but we're going to do this. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Um, And so that was part of the book was like, I was really scared about writing this thing. um, And something about sharing my intention made me feel at ease and felt like I could really take off the pressure of what the expectations of the book are going to be. Cause you know, I'm, you know, I'm, when you say you're writing a memoir and I've, I've said this to you, it's like, I, what life have I lived? Like I'm not, you know, I'm not a Michelle Obama right. writing a memoir. So to like say, Oh, this is a memoir. I, I didn't want people to come in it with like, well, that's it. <laughs> like, well, what was that? Right. So right, I really right. wanted to set up the stage for, for whoever's reading, whether they know me or they don't. So that was why I wanted to to put that intention in there. I do want to talk about audience specifically because I know that was really important for you. Yeah. Who were you writing for and how did you make sure that they were like top of mind to you as you were writing the book you know, and like that you were staying true to them? Yeah. You know, I always said I was writing for two audiences. So I was writing the book for black folks, queer folks, and especially black queer folks or uh, queer POC folks. Um, I wanted you know, there's just not a lot of books with a black queer story at the center of it, Uh, especially a black queer story that's not in trauma, you know, that that like where there is allowed to be the nuance of joy and humor in the midst of, you know, the human shit. Um, So I really wanted that book. I really wanted a black queer person, a queer POC person to pull a book off a shelf and be like, oh, 
Like, this is me. Like, this is my story. Mm. I also wanted to write it for non-black folks and uh, non-queer folks uh, and white folks because I do believe that um, curiosity is what builds empathy. And so learning about other people's experiences um, candidly is what allows us to build empathy and show up better uh, and show up stronger. And so in this, you know, especially in these last few years of talking about Black Lives Matter and Black Trans Lives Matters and, and all these, you know, allies and queer lives and all that stuff, it's like I wanted to create something where people who weren't, who didn't identify like me as black or queer, um, could understand my experience and see my humanity um, mm. and be able to show up for their friends who are black or, or of color or queer in their own lives. When you, sort of early in the book, you talk about like not knowing how to not be black and not be gay mm -hmm. and like, it, and like, but more specifically, you use the slurs, you use the F word and the N word. Yeah. Um, I can say the N word. I can't say the F word. So I'm just going to say the word for both of those. But yes. know that I'm really saying the, the N word. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, anyways, but you talk about like, you know, and, and the one of the guiding parts of the book, what questions of the book is like, who would I be if society never got its hands on me? I'm wondering how you balance how you see yourself and how the world sees you. Mm. Because I think like, yes, of course, we want to live our full selves. But part of living our full selves is also knowing how we're received yes. and how we receive the world. Like yes. we can't live in these silos of like, I'm just going to do whatever I want because that's what's in my heart. Yes. And I know you know that. So I'm wondering how you balance how you see yourself, how the world sees you, and like which one because so, sometimes one's got to win and sometimes the other's got to win. Sure. So like, how does that work for you? I think I talk about that a little bit in the chapter, they, you know, it was a request of my editor to really talk about my pronouns. And I was a little hesitant about it. I was like, I don't want to talk about my fucking pronouns. Uh, and it was also <laughs> like when I was writing it, I was also um, newly stepping into my pronouns, which are he and they. And so I was newly stepping into the they pronouns. Um, but I'm glad I wrote that chapter because that chapter really does talk about holding the duality and the duality is like, for me, I know that I'm a black, non-binary, queer person, uh, but you can't see my non-binariness, right? Like, I present as a man. I present masculine until I talk, and then you're like, oh, all right, there she goes, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I, pre <laughs> I present as, like, a black man, and so that's the experience that I'm also having. So I'm having right. an experience based off of how people are perceiving me, and I'm also having this internal experience. And so the reason for me personally, and everyone's going to be different about how they describe, especially when we talk about non-binary, how they describe their relationship to it. But for me, the reason I use both pronouns is because I wanted to allow myself permission to hold space for both, to hold space for how I see myself and how I want my friends and my family to see me, but also to hold space for how I'm seen and what I represent. Both, you know, both the the scary sides of it, you know, like the scary sides of being black as a threat um, and being perceived as a threat, but also like the um the beautiful side of it, you know, I talk about how as, you know, black gay men, you are so often emasculated. And so there's such work in reclaiming being a man. Um, and so for any black gay man who sees themselves in me, I don't ever want to like shit on that. Like that's beautiful. And yes, we there are, there's a shared experience. So I want to hold space for that because I am having a black gay man experience. There's no denying that. Um, right. But I'm also having this internal experience where I'm like, I'm neither man or woman. I'm this, you know, just Brandon. And so holding space for both. I don't know if any, I don't know if either one wins out um, or if I want, 
either one to win out. I think for me, my work at this moment in my life is just holding space for both, allowing both to kind of exist. I'm going to ask you a question that I asked you when you started using they pronouns because I felt really insecure in it, but I think that I'm not alone. You sent yeah. a message to like all of your friends, I assume. I don't know mm-hmm. if it was like a map. I don't know what it was, but you sent me a message. It was you to said, like you know, a close, like, like yeah, 10, close I think, 10 of you. Yeah. And it was like, hey, I'm now using uh, he, they pronouns. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is great. Excited. Thank you for letting me know. <laughs> and then I was like, can I ask you a question? And I'm sorry if I'm being an asshole, but how do I know which one to use mm. and when? And I'd love for you to explain that to people because I know other people are thinking it and maybe feel nervous about fucking up. And yeah. so I'd love for you to explain how, at least for you in your experience, because I know everyone yes. who uses pronouns differently has different feelings about how their pronouns work. But because you were so open with me, I'd love for you to share with my listeners. 1000%. And yes, I think that's the the thing to say is that everybody it's going to have a different relationship to their pronouns. And so especially if it's a close friend of yours, you can always ask like you did, which I really appreciate. It's like, I just want more clarification. And by the way, when you ask that question, I know it's scary to ask because you're like, don't want to fuck it up. But actually as the person on the receiving end, I see it as like this bridge of love because it tells me that you care and you want to be intentional about it. And so asking those questions actually um, is a beautiful thing. Um, For me, Um, I say that he pronouns are for everyone else and they pronouns are for me and for my close friends. And so, um, you right now in this life, because in in this point in my life, because I use both, I'm always like, you can't fuck it up. And the reason I do that is because, and I say this in the book, I am black, I'm gay. And those things, um, cause much more strife for me than my gender identity. Like I have a lot Mm. of privilege in this male body. So calling me he doesn't stress me out as much as, you know, some of the racial (laughs) and and sexual orientation things. Um, So I'm not as concerned, Um, but I, I wanted to share with my friends just because I wanted them to know that this is what I'm calling myself and this is where I'm at in my life. And because you love me and you know me so, so personally, I'd like you to also do that, but also know if you say he, you're, you're still correct. Um, and, and I also did that because I, I wanted to take that pressure off my friends. I, I know you probably mm. still feel it, but I was like, I don't want, this shouldn't be stressful. Like for me, it's not. And I don't want it to be stressful for you either. Like we're, we're all learning that's this together. Um, but that's where I'm at with it. Somebody else might really, really feel adamantly about like it's it's this and use it at this right. time and this and and they'll say that. But for me, I I'm still getting used to it. So I wanted to give my friends and family that flexibility as well. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I feel I feel free in my usage of pronouns with you. Uh, though <laughs> yes. sometimes I'll sometimes I'll text you and be like. Do you want to be uncle or yes. is there like everyone's wrong like, those questions. How do we do this? But you said uncle is good. Yeah, uncle's great. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. know, and we we talk Matthew and I are talking about that too cuz we're uh thinking about kids and like am I going to be dad? Am I going to be you know, some other name. And I'm not sure, you know, I, the part of that is also, and I say this in the book as well, you know, I didn't have my father growing up and and I say that the use of the he pronouns, I think was also reclaiming what it is to be a man because I didn't mm. have that example. And I had always wanted to be a better father. I mean, be a father because <laughs> my father just wasn't there. Um, and so there is, there is some healing in that as well, where I'm like, there is something about being called dad and having daddy that that means something to me. So I, I don't know where I'll land, but 
that to me is a beautiful thing about life. Like you get to evolve and change and feelings get to yeah. shift. And and, that's and if you have kids, they'll decide. Also. They'll decide too. They'll you know? decide real fast. As soon as I start talking, they'll, like my nephew calls my, or my, my cousin's kid calls my cousin Dadu because mm. he couldn't say daddy. And then Dadu just became the thing and he's Dadu. I love that. And like, they had never started with that, but he's Dadu. And now we all call him Dadu. I like, love and it's that. just, that's just how it is. Yeah. And like, same with other people. Like, they just come up with nicknames and, and then it sticks. And yeah. you, never, you, you were like, I'm going to be father. And then all of a sudden they're <laughs> calling you like Poppy. And yeah. You're just like, and okay, love, well, you know, yes, I'm Poppy now. <laughs> absolutely. Because it, it's like, you know, it's, it's to me, it's, it's also the intention behind it. Like I, I, I'm not stressed about like it having to be dad. It's like, yeah. What's the thing that makes us all feel loved in this household? That's the thing right. I want to be called. Well, and naming is so important and powerful. It's mm-hmm. why I feel like so many, I love like giving out nicknames or like having things that I call my friends. Cause it's like, Oh, this is a special yes. bond between us, yes, you know? Exactly. And like, and I feel like I've, I don't know if I've ever talked about this because I haven't really talked to you on the show, but like you used to go by B in college yes. and mm-hmm. everyone called you B. And when I met you, I was like, no, I'm calling you Brandon. <laughs> and I was like the only person at NYU that called you yes. Brandon. Everyone called me B or B Goodman and you were like, exactly. <laughs> I would be like, Brandon, please come over. Brandon. Brandon. Um, and then when you came to LA, and I think maybe because of Flywheel or whatever, you started going by Brandon mm-hmm. on like the websites. So you started going yeah. by Brandon more. And now everyone calls you Brandon and I call yeah. you B. Yes. And I don't know when that shift happened, but like there's something for me that's like the naming of a person in your life or like what you call someone or how you refer to someone is like really powerful and is really like it's like connective. And it's very special to me when like people that I that call do that, do call me B because I know what part of my life they're from. <laughs> you know, like that that like those are from like my college, like post like, you know, early twenties. And and so there's a very specific group that refer to me as B. And it's so, so special to me to have that. Um and then everybody else calls me Brandon and then there's a BKG uh tribe as well. So it's Yeah. Like I mean also I used to, we used to always like laugh because your name is like if you've never seen Brandon and you just see his name on on like social media, it's like <laughs> This this young Jewish boy, Brandon Kyle, Kyle Goodman. Goodman. My mom was like, "You're gonna work. You're gonna get a job." She, she was like, job, baby. "No matter what, we want you to get in the room. Boo-boo. Yes, we're boo-boo. gonna get you in the room. That whatever you do, yeah, whether you're an actor or a financier, Brandon Kyle Goodman is well, getting, in, getting the in the door. Room. Once you're in, you're on your own. You're my on your guy. own. But we're gonna get you in that room. <laughs> Period. Okay, wait. We're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But 
Don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook, with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Okay, we're back. Speaking of your mom, and there's a great section in the book where you talk about how your mom prepared you for blackness. Mm. And I want to know, what do you think about that preparation now, given all that you know now? <sighs> yeah. And at, speaking of future ch- children, would you do it differently for your future children should they be black? Yes. Um, uh, uh, well, yes, I would do it slightly different. What I, I guess think we of, should say how she how did, she it. did it. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I just jumped ahead. <laughs> I read the book, people. I read the book. <laughs> I mean, my mother's whole thing was, you know, she would she was very concerned about, you know, how I was dressed and making sure that I was always cleaned and everything was like, you know, would you want your kids to be clean? But you know what I'm saying? Like everything was yeah. in its place, like very proper. Um, I had to always enunciate. So like, you know, I'm from New York. So we would be like, oh, we going to Manhattan, you know, uh, yeah. what's in Manhattan? And she'd be like, Manhattan. <laughs> like, you know, like, like, speech, like speech class. <laughs> very, very. Manhattan. Like, Manhattan. You know, also like my, my family, I should say, is Caribbean. I'm first generation American. So that's also, I know from other Caribbean uh, friends of mine who are first generation, like that was a big thing that our Caribbean parents really drilled in, you know, over enunciating and getting our language, you know, super proper. Um, and then also, you know, just like, you know, when people say stop, you stop. So like if you're at a play date, your kids, you're, you're all wrestling, whatever. If you hear stop, you immediately stop. Keep your hands out of your pocket. When you go into a store, like just like really like rules, 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 mm-hmm. which as a kid, you're not taking in why this is important for me. It was just kind of like, okay, cool, cool, cool. And I, and I followed what my mom said. And then I understood, uh, as I say in the book, you know, that first time I got followed in a store, it was like all of that training came right up. So I was being followed in, in the, a store by a security guard. Um, and I, when I realized I was being followed, it was like all of that 
training came up. I went up to the security guard. I smiled. I over-enunciated. I asked for the school supplies. You know, like really went into to that mode so that I could make sure that I stayed safe in the scenario of, of that situation. Um, and so when I think about my kids and I think of black, about black kids, it's like, yeah, I think you do have to prepare them. Like, you know, and we talk about, um, you know, I've read so many articles about, you know, black kids who are raised by white parents and like that moment of the reckoning where it's like, Oh, I haven't prepared my black child for what their existence is when they're not in my vicinity, when my vicinity, when they're not in my reach. Um, and so, yeah, you, you, you have to, you just like, if your black kid is driving, you have to talk to them about what happens if they get pulled over by the cops. Like we hope it doesn't happen, but like, all these things are important. I think what I would do a little differently is probably just be very transparent about how unfair it is, you know, mm. like to like really in talking to my kids about these things, like acknowledge that there's a difference and acknowledge that it's unfair and really talk about the spaces of like what's unfair in this world and how things are, you know, it really does suck. And like, it's something that I have to go through and other people in your life have to go through. So you're not alone. You're not Mm. the only one that's reckoning with this. Cause I think that was also, it's like, I was never told that like my other black friends were dealing with this. So it really did feel like just like a me thing. And so I think it would have helped to know that this was something that just like our community just had to know how to do. And so that's what I would do differently. I think. Well, and you also went to predominantly white sure, schools, yes. especially in high school. You went to a boarding school. Yes. So it was like you were the only one in a lot of spaces or one of the only ones. Yes. Oftentimes one of the only ones. We talked about this before, but I want to talk about it again. Yeah. Uh, one of the chapters in the book is about uh, an abusive relationship that you were in. Yeah. And, you know, I really love that chapter for a lot of reasons. Because because I feel like, you know, the level of vulnerability was like so overwhelming. But also there's this part of that chapter where you talk about your Uncle Barry who talked to you about manipulation. Mm-hmm. And I think of like all the things in the book. It's like was the greatest takeaway for me personally. Yeah. About how to like interact with your loved ones and like all of that. So I'd love for you to explain Set, set it up for us and just talk about it because I just love hearing you talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was uh, I was in this relationship that I, at the time, didn't recognize or identify as emotionally abusive. It wasn't until a few years later in the relationship I'm in now, I was like going through this carousel that was like 10 signs that you were in an emotionally abusive relationship. And I went through all 10 and I identified nine of the 10 and I was like in the car weeping because I was like, oh my God, that was my relationship with this person who in the book we call Kevin. Um, but after I got out of that relationship, um, Kevin and I moved out of this apartment we lived in together and I reconnected with one of my godparents, my uncle Barry, who's this white, gay, stylish man who, uh, lives actually, I'm, I'm recording this in New York, maybe not too far from his apartment, actually. Mm -hmm. Actually, oh my goodness, you know what's crazy? The apartment, my Uncle Bear, so there was a period of time when I was eight years old that my mom lived at this apartment building called Riverbank West, um, which is like on like 42nd and like 11th. Um, in this high rise. And my uncle Barry also lived in the same building. So I would like go downstairs and hang out with my uncle Barry. Um, I am currently at a hotel on 11th Ave and you can see that 
old building. Oh my god! It's like three or four blocks away. Out, I can look outside the window. I, I opened the window. I was like, oh my god, that's my old building where Uncle Barry was. That's so crazy. So, anyways, I had just I hadn't seen Uncle Barry for years and years, and then after this relationship with Kevin, I reconnected with him, and he took me out to dinner, and I told him all about you know the relationship and um, my grandmother passing, and my mom at the time had just become born again Christian, and then he like asked me, do your friends know about all this? And I was like, no, um, I haven't told them. And he was like, why? I was like, oh, I like don't want to burden them with you know all this stuff. And he's like, do you let your friends come to you about their stuff? And I was like, of course, like I I I love holding that stuff for them, and I and I'm glad they trust me. And he's like, well, if they can come to you, but you don't go to them, then that's manipulative. And I was like, wait, girl, what are you talking about? Like <laughs> manipulative? Don't, don't be throwing names out, <laughs> don't okay? Be throwing names like that out. <laughs> that is not who I am, Mama. Um, and he was like, no, like you know this. A friendship and a relationship is this two-way street, essentially. And so if you are always presenting as okay and all right and aren't ever letting your friends see this other side, these broken sides, but they're allowed to show their broken sides to you, then that's manipulation. You're you're holding the cards, right? You're holding the upper hand. Mm. You are the one that's always all right. You're the whatever. And so he's like, that's manipulation. That's And I, I was like, I couldn't argue with that. It's like you're not... The, the friendship can't be full because we're not showing, I'm not showing my full side. I'm letting somebody else show all of their cards. They're good. They're bad. They're in between. And yet I'm over here only showing my good. And well, I would showing... argue you're not letting your friends show their full side because they're not getting to take care of you. That's true. Yeah. Like you don't get to see that nurturing side of them and they don't get to feel like they're like helping you a person yeah. that ostensibly ha- you have helped. Right. Yeah. Like they don't like you everyone is sort of being not their full selves yeah. in the relationship. Or even if they have had moments of that, I'm sure it stunts because there's like, there's never a chance for them to do the same. So they might've right. done it once, but like, again, it's this one way street. And so like the right. relationship can't be its full self because I'm, I'm not letting my full self out. Um, and so that would, that changed everything. And, and I will also say that because my godfather, um, is gay and like grew up, you know, or was here in New York in the eighties. And, you know, obviously when AIDS just like ravaged uh, our community, you know, chosen family and friends were really, really fucking important. Um, and, and being able to share with your friends in such, you know, devastating, vulnerable moments like that mm. was really, really fucking important. And so I think it, it hit different when I heard him say that, um, that meant a lot more. And it's like, yeah, I don't ever want to be, um, in a situation devastating situation and my friends just don't know about it just like or like what you know like yeah. to, like to your point like you reading the chapter were like what like every yeah. all you know all my friends are like what the fuck yeah um and i don't want that and you know moving forward yeah i mean that chapter was definitely like news to me i was mm-hmm. like oh I, yeah. I, te- <laughs> I text one of our mutual friends and i was like did you know all this stuff about kevin and they were like i mean I knew that like we don't like Kevin anymore because <laughs> Kevin was not nice. But and we both were like, yeah, 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 didn't know, didn't know, yeah, yeah. Which I is would. like a crazy feeling when you're reading your friend's book, being like, this is 
like there were little things I didn't know about you in the book, obviously, sure. like stuff about your childhood. But in this particular section, I was like, wait, because I was there. I was in yeah. the apartment. I mean, we were, we were very good we were friends. Work- we were throwing parties. We were doing <laughs> we were workout out. classes. Yes, yes. I'll yes. meet you here. Let's go from Absolutely. your place. Like I was seeing, I mean, like you, Josh, Pat, like all these people that I was seeing regularly. Like, yes. like it's not like I saw you once in a blue moon. Like we no. were, there was, was like, like multiple a times friends. a week. Yes. Yeah. There was a group of friends that I saw multiple times a week. And slowly but surely, but if like you like look back, it's like, oh, it tracks because slowly but surely I started seeing people less and less Mm -hmm. and less. Mm -hmm. And like that was the relationship as the relationship got deeper. Right. Um, You know, Josh was the one who helped me move out of that apartment, you know, and it's like, I I don't think I, I think I still don't think I've told him. Um, But yeah. Well, you'll know if you know, you'll know if he reads the book or not, because (laughs) he'll probably text you if he does. (laughs) There. Josh. There you go. Did you get the book, (laughs) boo-boo? Did you read it? We'll see. (laughs) Um, Before we jump to like sort of about the writing process, I want to talk about intersectionality. Yes. Because I think you do such a good job in this book of showing and not telling about intersectionality. Obviously you explain mm. what it is early on. Yeah. Kimberly Crenshaw. Uh it's like that, you know, if you're black and you're gay, you can't separate those two things. So experiences that a white gay person would have or experiences that a uh black straight person would have can't necessarily be separated from the experiences that you're having. Yeah. Um and so you talk a lot about that in the book, but I mean you don't really actually you don't talk a lot about it in the book. You show us a lot about how that works for you in the book. Yeah. Um and I guess my question is sort of like how do you navigate that for yourself? I know how I sort of navigate it for myself as a black woman, but I'm just I'm just curious your feelings about all of it. I think for me, it's that thing where, like, I think about it, especially in, like, career, you know, and I, I know uh, as, you know, black people in media, you know, you as a black woman in media, me as a black queer person in media, it comes up a lot, right? Because you see your white counterparts excelling in a way that is so obvious that it's about opportunities and that and that race or gender is at play. Like, you just mm-hmm. can't deny it. And there's something comforting about that in acknowledging that for me, because I think there was uh, a tendency to think it was about talent, a mm. tendency to think it was about skill. And then when I was finally able to name it and be like, oh, no, there's other things at play here. It doesn't you know, make me happy about it, but it at least quieted the doubt about myself, if that makes mm. sense. And so that's how I really navigate those intersections is like um, – and also, like, when things happen and come up, I now ask the question, like, is this about me? Is this about my gender identity? Is this about my sexuality? Is it about all, you know, my race? Is it about all three? So just it, it allows me to be a little more curious as mm-hmm. I move through the world and uh, I think not take things more personal, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Because yeah. I'm very clear that my black queerness and my intersections are beautiful, and I love them and they are my superpowers. But when the world fights me because of mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. I need to be aware that it's the world's problem and not my problem. And I think historically, I thought I was the problem and right. I was trying to fix and change me, um, which right. I no longer do. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. I had a, a experience not too long ago, well, a little bit ago, where I had a person for this show who was a black woman and 
was not into black women. Oof. Oof. And it was really jarring Oof. for yeah, me. Yeah, that that those hurt worse. <laughs> those are the worst. Where yeah. you're just like all skin folk and kin folk. Yeah, yeah like that, what did I oof. do to you? Like yeah. I invited you on my podcast. Yeah, those like, hurt. Yeah, those are really bad. And I feel like those are the ones that are the hardest for me to be like, this is a you thing and not a me yeah, thing. Even though sure. those also feel like the most clearly those are a you thing and not yeah. a me thing. Because I'm like, you've obviously been hurt in a way that you feel like you yes. have to be awful to me, even yes. though I feel like we're on the same team. So Absolutely. like weirdly, it feels personal and also the least personal. Yes. And so those are the ones that I mostly struggle with. I've had some older black gay men in my career that have been awful. I've had some ones that have been fabulous, but I've had a couple that have been awful in a way that you're like, huh? <laughs> like, all I yeah. did was say hello. Like, you're just like, wait, what? Yeah. Why are you looking at me or talking about this? And you're like, oh, it is your pain, right? Like, yeah. like they are yeah. like, I am triggering your pain. Like, you are yeah. seeing me move through, you know, listen, you and I have it very difficult still, but we have it easier, better than, than, right? And so I think there's like, you're seeing an ease happen that one, I like, and in this book, I pay tribute to everyone that's come before me. You know, like I understand Mm -hmm. that the reason that I'm able to be here talking to you, having a book where I'm wearing a skirt is because a lot of fucking people sacrificed. A lot of people Mm -hmm. went unknown. You know, there are a lot of names that we don't know. But, you know, I can't explain that to the, you know, to the older, you know, black gay guy who looks at me and <laughs> thinks I'm yeah. spoiled or whatever it is. Um, right. So that does hurt. But, yeah, there is like a it's the most personal and the least. I think it's just disappointing. It's just sad. Yeah. Because well, like, like, it ah. hurts your feelings the most. I think yeah. what it is. Yeah. Like, it's like I can still be like, OK, this isn't about me. Like me. Yeah. Have some issues. But also like this makes me really sad and it yes. hurts my heart. And I just like feel frustrated because I because I think I also like go into it with higher hopes for them yeah like I'm like oh this is going to be a person that I'm going to be able to connect with and we're going to have a vibe and it's yeah. going to be great and Especially, again there yeah. have been many wonderful black women sure. who have been part of the show and have supported my work but when it when there's one that's not it just it feels, feels like, weird <gasps> yeah because you're also like there are so few of us right like right. that are visible right. and out here doing it so like when you meet somebody you're like ah oh, I want to like connect like we're doing look we're doing the thing and when they're like okay no girl you're like oh ow 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 (laughs) my heart ow ow my heart (laughs) yeah Yeah, no a thousand percent (laughs) yeah um okay we always talk about this how do you like to write where are you snacks and beverages how often is there music are you in the home any rituals candles incense stretching set the scene Uh, all of it so for for the first draft I usually try to be out of the house so I I, for the book what I did I I would like uh, do this little what I called retreat so I book an Airbnb or I book a hotel room I would go away for a couple days and just like write the shitty draft because I'm a perfectionist as I talk about in the book and so it's really easy for me to stop writing because I'm so focused on like a fucking word or like a mm, like mm-hmm. how I want to say whatever and it was really important to just get out the house and like get it out there's always a candle the scents are really important to me. Uh, there's <laughs> always a snack. I like it's my chance to like order out. So like, you know, there's uh, burgers or fries or chocolate chip cookies. 
Um, there's a gallon of water, which is just in general. Um, and I'll play like some, sometimes I'll play like some classical music in the back. I can't really, as much as I want to write while listening to Beyonce, like it is, it's no. my desire. Like I can't, like the moment people are singing, like I get distracted. So I can only do it if there's some kind of like piano, but I tend to go for like a jazzier piano type vibe okay. in, the, in the background. <laughs> a little, a little Keep soul. it jazzy. Keep it jazzy. Keep it jazzy. <laughs> no. Um, and specifically piano. Like I love, like I, I try, I played with like just like general classical, but I, I the piano, I, I played piano as a kid. Um, I can't do it now, but I, I played piano as a kid. Um, and so I think that really comforts me in some way. Um, and then uh, taking breaks, you know, when I take my breaks, uh, I watch things that have no stakes. So like a lot of shitty TV, like a lot of housewives or like old school, like living single, fresh prints, okay. like just like things that can really comfort me and make me like, I, I was, it was so funny, in the middle of the book and the pandemic, I was rewatching Scandal. And in like season three, she gets like kidnapped. And I, it's such a great season. And I, this, as I was writing the book, I was watching it and I had to stop it. I was like, nope, my anxiety, I like can't. Too much. <laughs> it's like too much. It's like spiking. So, um, oh but yeah. Chill During vibes. the pandemic, my mother discovered Grey's Anatomy for ah, the first time. what a discovery. Uh, you know I'm such and, a stan. I mean, it's my favorite show. I've never it's, missed an episode. I still watch. <laughs> and she was like, I just started watching Grey's Anatomy. And I was like, bitch, I've been watching this show for 18 <laughs> fucking years. And you're trying to act like you just discovered this? This is my whole personality this is my is life. Grey's Anatomy. And <laughs> she's like, she'll like come to me and be like, oh my God, I'm still watching. I'm on season 13. And I'm like, you still have five years, okay? Biggie, <laughs> you're not even close. Up. You're behind. <laughs> <laughs> and I know afterwards she's going to be like, what should I watch next? And I'll probably be like, Scandal. Scandal, babes. Yeah, you've <laughs> got to scandal. go through all of Shondaland <laughs> and how to. to get away with murder. Come on, you just got to. Come on, private practice, get into it. Like, I'll, like I'm all not that. into private practice. I loved private practice. <laughs> I was it wasn't such a for fan. me. I, was such, I hated when uh, Audra McDonald left, but I loved private practice. Ooh, no thanks. And I'm so um, glad that Addison's back. Sorry, let's let's move no, on. No, <laughs> I'm so glad Addison's back, too. I'm, I, wait, so you're still watching Grace? Yes, I'm behind on this, or on last season. I haven't watched last season, but... Uh, okay. I, I am still a fan of the Starts show. Starts back up October some. October yes, 6th yes, or season something. nineteen, right? I think we're season or 19. Eight, 18 or 19. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, yeah, I went to. Um, I got to go to the Emmys, uh, and then oh, I yes. went to the the Disney party, and I like ran into a bunch of the cast, and I oh, lost, I saw your picture. I lost my fucking mind, <laughs> and I, they were they were like, "Oh, we're taking photos," and I was like, "Oh yeah, go ahead, t- go take photos." And then uh, one of the new doctors on the show, ER Fightmaster, they are incredible, and I love them. Uh, and they were like, "Come on," and I was like, "Uh." Yes, okay. <laughs> so I'm in a photo with like three of the cast members and it's the highlight of my life. That was, you were behind Oprah. You yes. were behind Quinta. And Charlie You Ralph. were behind everyone. <laughs> However, for me, seeing you with the dregs of the Grey's Anatomy <laughs> cast is still there. I was like, what a blessing. What a Well, oy. you know, my boyfriend, Justin Chambers, used to ride yes. at Flywheel. Yes. Brandon also taught at Flywheel with me. I did. I did. Um, and he, everyone used to always joke because he would always, he was like my guy. And yeah. all the people at the front desk would be like, your boyfriend's here. And I would be like, Karev. <laughs> hey. Karev, hey. And he was riding there when he left the show. And he told me, he was like, I'm, I think I have to leave. Like, I think I've like burnt out. But when I first met him, I asked him about it. And he was like, I love it. It's a steady job. 
job and you don't get that anymore. And I yeah. love it and I get to be creative and I still get to do the work. But I also know like I'm going to have a job. And then one day he was like, yeah, I'm I think I've hit my place. Yeah. Oh my so God. I love him. Love. I love that. One last uh, grace thing. Oh, yeah. Do you know Go that? Um, so one of my friends now directs on a bunch of the Shonda shows. And for my birthday, um, he got me a video of Chandra Wilson saying Ooh. happy birthday and she like sang a little bit and i <gasps> lost my, oh my God. mind i lost my fucking mind it was amazing she plays bailey for yes who yes know. yes she plays bailey yes who's and then okay. there since season fucking one and it's i'm incredible. gonna do one more and then more yes 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 she was also the emmys i sat behind her okay great Go ahead. Oh <laughs> um also justin chambers one time was like oh i'm bringing a friend to class later this week and who did he bring who did he bring his friend Sandy. Sandy who? Sandra O. Oh. Ah! <laughs> she called herself Sandy. I was like, hi, let me help you get set up on your bike. And I was like, great, what's your name? And she was like, I'm Sandy. And I was like, <laughs> I just hit my mic. Oh my God. I would have died. I almost died. I would have was passed so out. lovely and kind. Uh, was was very patient with me setting her up on her bike. Uh, I would have been shaking. I couldn't do it. <laughs> After class was like, I'm going to go die now. <laughs> Absolutely. One of a the dream. most incredible. Sorry, this is not a great time <laughs> podcast. Chris, cut all this. <laughs> no, leave it in, Christian. Leave it, leave it in. It in. <laughs> when that scene where Burke leaves her and she's uh, in the wedding dress. The wedding and dress Meredith with opens no eyebrows. With no eyebrows. And she goes, I'm free. And then starts, huh. Sandra like she's oh. like, cut me out, cut like, me out. Yes, yeah. yes. Ugh, like brilliant. Anyways, so anyways. good. Sandra okay. Oat was a blessing for yes, all of us who yes. watched that show. Mm. Okay. Back to your book, yes. which is way better than Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> okay. May, I might be stretching because yeah, nothing, yeah, is stretching. Nothing, Anatomy, nothing is better than Grey's Anatomy. Not my husband, not <laughs> my children, not anyone not I've ever trouble. met. Um, is queen, the fucking bomb episode will yes. be haunting me forever. Oof, anyways. Yeah. What came most easily for you with this book and what was the most difficult? Mm. What came most easily um, were definitely the author's notes. Mm. Uh, so it, in the book, I do a couple of these author's notes and those came easily because they were the thing that like broke form. Because um, I think the scary thing was like, how do you write a fucking book? Like, <laughs> like, like, I know how to write an essay, I know how to write an article, I could write a TV script, I could write a, a play, but how do you write a fucking book? Right. Um, <laughs> and so like the author notes were these moments where I like broke away from the convention and so it felt easy. Those author notes were also, I mean, one of them is pretty personal, the ancestors one, but they're also more like, I would say informational or like, mm -hmm. um, like, this is how we do this. This is how we hold space. This is how we go to therapy. Blah, blah, blah. So it felt, although some of it is still personal, it still felt not as vulnerable, if you will. Right, right. right. Um, I did find them important. Like, well, the most important one was the holding space, which I think is the first author's note, mm -hmm. um, because it's right before I go into conversations about my family. Um, and I found that to be really important because... I'm still so protective of my family, even though I talk about them in a very, you know, vulnerable, open way. And it doesn't always make them look the best. You know, there's a lot of um, dualities in this book. Um, and so that that holding space was important to me and easy to write because I knew my intention of, of holding love. The hardest things to write 
we're definitely the three chapters. We're definitely mom, grandma, and uh, Kevin. So life is hard. We all need help. Is the emotional abuse gay stuff is about my mom and becoming a born again Christian and pride and joy is about my grandmother and you know how she, I never told her I was gay and like what, what our relationship was and, and my kind of longing for her. Um, so those are probably the three hardest that were. Yeah. This is a question I ask everyone. Mm-hmm. So you're going to go on record on this. What's the word you can never spell correctly on the first try. Oh my God, there are so many. Yes, I have so many. We went to theater school, so this does not shock me about you. Oh my God, there's so (laughs) many. (laughs) Like, I literally have to like look up Thursday sometimes. Like, wait, is it? Oh, Uh, no. (laughs) Like, committed comes to mind. I'm like, are there two M's, two T? It's the the multi fucking multi things. Uh, (laughs) How about committee? Committee is a nightmare for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anything with like multiple Mm -hmm. achieve, I'm always like, I'm free except after C. There's like 17 E's in achieve also. Like, what are you doing? What are y'all doing? Like, why is it some words? Stop it. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, So, one of the things you talked about is like wanting this book to be for black people, queer people, and black queer people most specifically. Yeah. What are the best depictions of black queer people out right now? And where and which ones do you feel like are lackluster depictions of black queer people? That could mm. be books, TV, music, whatever pops to mind. The best. Um, I think, uh, I said this last night, I think industry is such an incredible, and I would love to know what that Um, writer's room is made up because the lead protagonist is a black woman. The rest of the cast is pretty white, but I feel like they've created this like really nuanced, layered, fucked up main character. And it's wonderful. That's not a queer character. Well, I guess there's some queerness in it. Um, uh, Other representations, I think uh, Saucy Santana, um, who is a rapper and is just like, to me, fucking hip hop up in such a delicious way mm. um in such a a way that you know we cra- like i've craved forever and ever you know they uh really just are femmed the fuck out like full nails like dresses and it like and are dropping bops <laughs> like <laughs> are dropping full on bops and it's such a beautiful representation to me what else have I seen recently? Um, I think that uh, Law Roach as a stylist, I mean, his influence is kind of everywhere, mm-hmm. um, but also seeing uh, him in his fullness, like just show, like he was at the Emmys carpet and he was fully in, fl- in, in slides. It was like these furry Adidas slides yes. with long, long hair and like, just like in his full. And we're like, I was like, where's my Emmys mama? And you but just like, uh, so unapologetic and his influence kind of being in all, you know, in Zendaya and Kerry Washington and all right. these people that he's dressing. So you're seeing um, that representation, I think kind of everywhere and, and also getting, his props, like, you know, like really people being like, this is, that's fucking iconic talent. Um, uh, I'm trying to think about on TV. I'll say, I think that there is work to do in that space. Not that there aren't good representations. Like I think, you know, Pose had some good representation. Although that show, as beautiful as that show is, I think also had a lot of um, trauma inside of it. And so like, Mm -hmm. I, I desire seeing 
um, more joy. You know, I desire mm. seeing more shows where we get to be in in full joy. Like I love that MJ Rodriguez, who won the Emmy and like really led the cast of Pose now on Loot um, with Maya Rudolph. Um, you know, I lo- I love just seeing Black queer people in spaces, not mm-hmm. being tied to their their Black queerness, just existing right. as human beings. Um, but I do think in film and TV, we have a fucking long way to go in terms of getting more representation out there. I love that. I ask this to everyone also. For people who love your book, what are some other books you might recommend to them that are in conversation with the work that you've done? Um, uh, There are a bunch of books that I kind of gravitate to right now. So right now I'm reading, um, and the author's going to escape me, but Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, Mm -hmm. um, which has really been so eye-opening and allowing me to see my mother specifically and it, 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 you know that's a, a emotionally immature is like a really <laughs> that's a charge it's fucking, pointed it's, it's pointed. a pointed you know it's like when uncle Barry called you manipulative it's a little yes. bit like it's like oh, fuck, you, you went know. there it's like the I'm, I, uh, a friend of mine i think said that they had that book on their coffee table and their mom was coming over and they like li- literally had to like run and like <laughs> toss it will it's you like, just send a copy <laughs> to my children because they're gonna need it like i am their mom my Please kids are gonna need them. that Yes, just save your copy. Like, I'm going to take my copy extras. and pass it down. <laughs> every time someone has a, every time one of your friends has a child, just send That's the copy God. to the parent. Like, here's like, my baby gift. Yeah, hold on to it for them. <laughs> uh, but, you know, just like having language to really understand the history of your parents mm. and what they, you know, what that generate. Because what I say to, I've said this to you and to other friends is like, my friends who are having kids now, we are, we are the generation that's breaking the pattern. So like a lot of us are first generation going to therapy, first generation talking about mental health, first generation, like really being intentional about like, how do I parent really reading and researching how to parent our parents' generation was not really always doing that. And so I think we're the first generation to do that. So it makes sense that there are things that happened and like, you know, scars that were passed down that we are currently reckoning with. And so needing books like that to help us navigate that. Uh, The Ethical Slut is also um, something that I'm reading right now, which has been really inspirational um, just in terms of, again, this idea of breaking conventionality. So that book is really all about how do you exist in non-monogamous relationships? Um, And this idea that like, you know, there isn't a right or wrong, like that man and woman or like, two people isn't the only way a relationship can exist. And how do you expand your thinking on that? It doesn't mean that you have to move into a non-monogamous relationship, but it's this idea that to me, it's like the world is bigger than you think it is. And the way for us to exist as humans is bigger than you might have been taught that we've been taught, you know, we've been taught so binary. So anything that allows me to, um, to break out of the binary, you know, I'm going to fucking love, um, (laughs) You know, this is old, but it was kind of the first book that really, um, really allowed me to see myself, which was The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. That was the first time I read that years ago. And it was the first book that I read that gave me language for why I was suffering, um, which I was, you know, talk about in the book, my perfectionism is my addiction. Um, and, And as a black person and as a black queer person, I think a lot of us suffer from perfectionism. It's like our worth and our value is rooted in our productivity and how well we're able to perform. And so being able to, that book really inspired me to undo my, um, undo that, but also in writing this book, like the importance of 
um, I said this to you, you know, the difference between being on Instagram and having like these stories kind of disappear. It's like, I wanted to create something that somebody could hold on to, um, right. and always go back to and be like, Oh my God, that thing, this thing, this is how I navigate that. Um, so those are, I'll, those are the three books I'll, I'll give right now. I'm going to give two books just because I think that they're like perfectly in conversation. Yeah. One is, um, I Can't Date Jesus by Michael Arsenault. Oh, yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. That's a great yeah, one. Yeah, it's so good. And it yes. has like the joy and the humor mm -hmm. that you talked about. Like it's not rooted in like a super traumatic like foundation. So yes. There is, of course, trauma because being black queer in America, there's going to be trauma points just like yes. there are in your book. Yes. And then the other one I would say is Here For It by R. Eric Thomas. Also yes also black queer. Um, so for people who are like looking for other black queer stories that maybe aren't rooted in trauma, those are two I would throw out that I think are really, really great. And then one that's slightly more on the traumatic side, but so fucking good is No Ashes in the Fire. I was just going to say, Moore. yes, yeah. No Ashes in the Fire, All Boys Aren't Blue and The Bluest Eye were three books that I uh, also read before starting to write. Mm. Um, and I And I was really grateful, one, to like just hear Darnell and George's voices and also just like Toni Morrison writes right. in this Toni Morrison's Toni Morrison but you Tony know just Morrison's like uh, <laughs> but like I, I think that Toni Morrison also does this thing where she doesn't she breaks how she writes it's like it's poet it's like poetry it's just like yeah. it's the, the form of her writing is just so so good uh, so good so those definitely so that's okay, a, last a, one. A chunk. Yeah. That's a good list. You all have a that's good PBR there. Yeah. Okay. Last one. If you could have one person dead or alive, read this book, who would you want it to be? Dr. Maya Angelou. Mm -hmm. um, for sure. The quote that opens my book is, uh, I'm a human being, thus nothing human can be alien to me. And I got that from her. She did this thing called Oprah's Masterclasses where she would do this hour long kind of in-depth documentary style thing with a different person. And so Maya Angelou's, uh, Dr. Maya Angelou's uh, was life-changing for me um it was shortly after my grandmother had passed away and right after my um, mom had become born again and there's this thing that she says which is love liberates it does not bind and if you go on youtube and look up my angelo love liberates it's a this 10 minute thing about um her her mother and when her mother was passing and how she was able to release her mother and and she said love liberates it does not bind uh, and that idea that love should not be conditional, that if you really love somebody, that you give them the space and the time mm. to do what they need to do and to be who they need to be and to let them know you're always there, that that is love. And that really changed everything for me. But she also in there talks about how she would start everything, like all her classes with that quote that she would say in Latin. And I won't fuck it up. I won't say it because I'll fuck it up. But it, it translates to I am a human being. Thus nothing human can be alien to me. It's a Roman philosopher, Terence. And so th I put that in front of everything. Anyways, Dr. Maya Angelou is who, is who I would want to read this book. That would mean uh, everything to me. I love that so much. Okay, we're done. We're out of here. Last thing I'm going to say, get your copy of You Gotta Be You wherever you get your books. B also reads the audiobooks. You can do the audiobook. I have heard B read the conclusion. It is so good hearing it in your voice. So if you are an audiobook person, I highly recommend the audiobook. I have a link to everything we talked about today in the show notes. B, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I love you. I love you. And everyone else, we will see you in the sacks.
thank you all so much for listening. And thank you to Brandon Kyle Goodman for being my guest. Don't forget, Anthony Acampo will be back on October 26th to discuss this month's book club pick, Fairest by Meredith Toulouson. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the stacks pack. Make sure you're subscribed to The Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, leave us a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. This episode of The Stacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite and our theme music is from Tagiragis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 